So I don't know what you have for a Christmas tradition that's not the typical, like, everybody, not everybody, but most people have a Christmas tree. I'm not talking about that. Uh, most people do some sort of a Christmas meal. I'm not talking about that. Other Christmas traditions, think for a moment what other Christmas traditions you may have in your family. In mine, one of the things that comes out about the Thursday before Christmas every year is the Christmas train. So at my parents' house, they're all excited because they pull out the Lionel Christmas train and put it, where do they put it? Do they put it in a random room? No, it goes around where? Around the tree. You're with me. Okay. And so they're all excited because I have two small children. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And if we're being honest, which we are, we're in church, if we're being honest, what we'll say is, hey, this is really the first opportunity that both of them are aware of Christmas, so my parents were really excited to pull out the Christmas train. You with me? Okay. So the kids are about to come in the front door, and I look through the window, and I see how excited my dad is. He's giddy. He's all really jazzed up that this is the opportunity the kids are going to see the Christmas train, and we open the door. Now, one of two things might have happened that didn't happen. Number one, before we continue the story, the whole rest of the encounter could all have been about, hey, you must appreciate the train. It's so special. It's so amazing. Look, we did this for you. Look, we upgraded it this year. Can you believe the expense we took? Has families ever done this? Okay, that didn't happen. Then the other thing that could have happened is, Hey, you're four and two. This is not developmentally appropriate. It's a special Christmas train. Do not touch the Christmas train. You may see it. You may look at it. You may appreciate it. But if you touch it, it goes away. Does that sound familiar? Okay. That didn't happen either. Rather, and this is what I hope we see with so many things at the Christmas season. My kids came in, and they saw the Christmas train, and they were all excited And then the focus was not on the train. It was Ruby is four. She got out her favorite stuffed animal Christmas tree, a little puppy, and she brought Christmas tree out, and he was now over by the train. And Henry went over, and he grabbed all of his trucks, tractors, and animals. And then every family member was roped into playing, and the focus wasn't on the Christmas train. The Christmas train was the setting. Now, the reason I bring that up is because we're going to come to times when we live in settings we don't choose. But, because some of our settings are like a Christmas train. Can we agree that it's nice to have a Christmas train in our life? You have Christmas trains that you deal with. Nice settings. They're not the focus, they're the setting. But so many times, yes, there are positive settings, but sometimes there's negative ones, or there's ones that are open to interpretation. Think about for a moment, so many of the settings of your life aren't really good, they're not really bad, they're just kind of open to interpretation, good things can come out of them, but they're the setting, not the focus. This Christmas, in our text we're going to see, we don't choose our settings, but we get to choose something, we get to choose to live by faith. And so you're going to see that this is what happens with Mary and Joseph, We're going to read the story in a moment. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you brought a Bible, we'll turn over together. If you didn't, that's okay. There's either Bibles in the pew, or you're always welcome to go to your pocket Bible on your phone, Bible Gateway, YouVersion Bible app, whatever works for you. We'll be reading in the New Living Translation. But let's read the Christmas story together, all as one, 
And then I want you to see really that Mary and Joseph don't get to choose their setting, but they still live by faith. So the words will be on the screen as well. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And you're welcome to read along if you'd like. We'll keep going. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Okay, so it's a very familiar story. What we're looking at today is how to live like Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at two brief things in our time together. First of all, we're going to show you that in this text, accepting our settings is one way to live like Mary and Joseph. If you see the very beginning of this famous text, when do we hear it? We hear it in the Charlie Brown special, right? Yeah, Linus comes out with his blanket. I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. So here it is. And it starts with these words. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed. I want you to think about that because we don't, anybody under an emperor? Anybody have an emperor you serve? We don't have an emperor, right? So we're in a very different setting than this. They had to accept their settings. We have to accept ours. But notice this. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed. They're over here in the Israel-Judea area and all the way over. There's this guy who decrees something. Now, why do you think about that? There's a big government issue that happens. There's big government, and there's government oversight, and they do this thing where the guy comes in, and he says, this is how everybody's going to live, and it affects everybody. Now, there might be two responses people can have. Number one, there might have been some people who said, at last, they're finally fixing our tax system. That's amazing. Could have been one response. Probably not. What probably was the more frequent response was, I can't believe Rome is doing this again. I'm not Roman. I don't like Rome. I don't like Caesar. He's not my king. What is this nonsense? However, if you notice, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed. Does the story say, and then Joseph got all upset? Does it say, and then Mary and Joseph came up with a plan to totally just do their own thing? No, they accept their settings. And that's what's really clear because all of us have settings we live in. I've come up with this little bracket thing. I want to show you this. So imagine your life for a moment. At that time, blank, in your life. What's going on in your life today? That's your context. At that time, I'll give you some of them. So first of all, you could say, at that time, they changed all the exits all over the country. Okay. I literally don't know what the correct name of exit six is anymore. There's an exit right over there, and I have no idea. Is it exit 35? I have no idea. So do you notice a setting can be good, it can be bad, it can be open to interpretation, it can just leave us confused. 
Do we ever have times where we're just confused by life? We're confused by what's going on. We're like, God, I'm trying to follow. I'm trying to be obedient. And now they're changing all the exits on me. And it's not even that they moved them. They changed the numbers. Okay, but sometimes at that time, my winning sports team became a losing sports team. Ouch, Patriot fans. I'm sorry. Right? Okay, well, let's try another one. At that time, ooh, they built a new shopping area in my town. Or conversely, they removed a shopping area in my town and turned it into apartments. Okay, what about this? At that time, my kids grew up. Notice these aren't good, these aren't bad, these are just settings. At that time, I got a new boss at work. Now, I want to be clear. When we're looking at the story of Mary and Joseph, at that time, Mary was how many months pregnant? Nine months pregnant. The baby was about to be born. Hey, anybody ever have a nine-month pregnant person in your house, or have you ever been a nine-month pregnant? That's a setting, isn't it? Right? That's, a set, that's like the backdrop of the entire... If you have a nine-month pregnant person at Christmas, that's what Christmas can become all about, right? Good, bad, right? All sorts of stuff. It's open to interpretation. Also, at that time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed everybody had to leave where they were. There were no cars. There was no Magna Rail train. There was no teleportation. There was no airplane. You had to walk or go by donkey maybe a really far way away so you could pay more taxes. Now, the key here is acceptance though because what we find, think about my Christmas train. When we have a Christmas train, that's a good setting you have in your life. Think about your winning sports team becoming a losing sports team. That's kind of a negative setting, maybe, or it's open to interpretation. No matter what we deal with, whether it's heavy, whether it's light, whether it's what Mary and Joseph are dealing with, acceptance is the key. If we want to live like Mary and Joseph, we begin by just accepting our setting. Some people refer to this as accepting life on life's terms, right? There's the idea of just life is where it is. Would I have picked it? Maybe not. Can I change it that much? Probably not. So therefore, I must accept. And so that's what they do. And that allows them to then live by faith. Because the big idea of the story that we look at is, okay, on one hand, I have no control over my setting, but... In any setting, in any circumstance, I have the opportunity, like Mary and Joseph, to live by faith. So watch what it says. We read this all together. Joseph traveled to Bethlehem from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Do you see that Joseph is just taking the next right step? He's just doing the right thing. He's accepted his life, and we're going to get a baby born in where? A manger. Who's the baby going to be? Baby Jesus. He just takes the next right step. He lives by faith. I want to show you that with Mary and Joseph, the reason that they're able to live by faith is because they do a couple things. They choose to obey God. They choose obedience. And so when we're thinking in our lives, like, hey, I'm confused on what to do. If I want to live like Mary and Joseph and have a Christmas reminder, what I can say is there are times... When I can choose, hey, am I going to completely do my own thing? Am I going to completely try to think outside of the box? Or am I going to return in my brain to my faith and say, hey, what has God commanded in my life? 
What opportunities has God laid out? What people has God put in my life that I have a responsibility to? And now choose obedience. They also lived scripturally. They were very aware as first century Jewish people that the baby was going to be the Messiah and that that meant certain things and that the Old Testament scripture literally said like the baby's going to be born in certain places. So when they chose obedience and they lived in accordance with scripture, they knew that what they were doing mattered. When we go through our lives... One of the things we can say is, what guidebook are we using in life? Are we, we looking to the latest pop culture trends? Are we going and arguing with an AI about, hey, what should I do next? Are we looking to meme culture and letting so much of our life feel like a meme? Or are we saying, hey, I have an opportunity to remember that I'm part of a generation. And my generation lives in the context of other generations. We saw a multi-generational family with a dedication, right, today? That's multi-generational living scripturally. When you think of in my family, I'm serving a church. My dad served a church. My grandfather served a church. My great-grandfather was involved in ministry and led a number of ministries. We have an opportunity to look at the legacy that we have in our lives, or if we don't, we can look at the legacy of other Christians and we can say, hey, what have Christians done before and what do the great heroes of the Bible do and how can we live like them? And finally, they set an example for future generations. Mary and Joseph knew that what they were doing mattered. Do you ever think about your actions in your life and feel like it doesn't matter? Do you ever have this? Like, you're like, oh, I have another blah day. I have another mundane time. You know, we're just going through the motions. We're going to get everybody together. It costs a little bit too much. The schedule's a little bit too busy. I'm not really sure, like, if this is going to be amazing, but we're just going to do it anyways. Mary and Joseph knew that their actions would literally set an example for future generations. I want to give you this encouragement. When you choose faith in your life, you are setting a legacy for the next generation. Literally, the rhythms of your life are going to be observed by the young people in your life. If you're a parent, the children in your life are going to look at you and say, wow, that's normal. If you're an aunt, uncle, friend, grandparent, the children around your life are going to look at you and say, hey, this is one example of a normal way to live. We get to set an example for future generations. And so what I want to say is that we don't get to choose our settings, but no matter what, we can always choose to live by faith. And that brings us to a song that we always sing, and I want to tell you how this is an example of that. So in 1818, there was a young pastor, and his name was Joseph Moore. And he had a problem. This was a setting that he couldn't control. An organ broke on Christmas Eve. That'd be like all the band instruments breaking. Billy, your guitar has a hole in it. Uh, Michael, your brand new amp. Um, I dumped coffee on it. And we're, and we're in a problem. And so from that place, did the young pastor freak out? No. He remembered that he had an opportunity to live by faith no matter his setting. So what he did is he remembered that two years before, he had wrote a poem. As a young idealistic minister, he considered all the impact of the Napoleonic Wars in Europe 
And he realized that the gospel, the power of the good news of Jesus, is greater and shines brighter than any of the chaos in, world, in the world. And so he had written this poem. And so he walked three kilometers that day to the house of a school teacher, Franz Gruber. And he had his poem with him, and he said, hey, we're stuck. The organ's broken. We're going to figure this out. And over that afternoon, they sat down. Gruber now composed a melody to the poem he had written two years before. Then they walked another three kilometers back to the church and led this song in worship. And it's become the most beloved, probably of all Christian songs, definitely Christmas songs, but possibly the most beloved Christmas song and probably the most beloved Christian song, Silent Night. And so we're going to sing this and remember that we don't get to choose our settings, but we can always choose to live by faith. Let's stand and sing. Silent night. 